Hey everybody, well welcome back to Your Enneagram Coach, the podcast. I'm Jeff McCord and uh, I'm joined here today with Beth, uh, the Enneagram Coach, <laughs> and uh, also Adam Breckenridge, the Enneagram Coach on deck. Uh, <laughs> he, Adam's our Director of Coaching and so uh, delighted to have him here. This is actually the third um, episode for talking about uh, our new proprietary approach to the Enneagram, Enneagram Internal Profile, as it relates to calling. Now, uh, you'll notice that we're actually in a season where we'll be opening enrollment for our Becoming an Enneagram Coach course. And as we've helped tens of thousands of people consider the possibility of becoming an Enneagram Coach, we've started to realize uh, some of the common questions and tendencies for each type as it relates to uh, branching out and living out a passion or a sense of burden mm-hmm. uh, in order to help people. And we've noticed, uh, number one, EIP actually is really helpful for this because there's all kinds of parts of us that either can help us or get in the way of us living out our sense of calling. There's all kinds of hurdles that we face. And so the first episode, we talked a little bit about the gospel and why the gospel is so important as the foundation for anything that we think of, because we'll never be without our need for God's grace and that he has meticulously created us in his image, but uniquely, and it has stewarded our story so that we are exactly where we need to be. God knows our phone number. He knows our address. He can reach us at any time. Mm-hmm. And we're never outside of his purposes for our life. He's chosen the seasons, the times. He gives us life and breath and everything else. So in these moments, we can take great comfort in the truth of the gospel. And then in the second episode, you can go back and listen where we talk through a few stories. Uh, Adam shared and both Beth shared, mm-hmm. uh, talking about a recent experience of how all the various parts of their main type, their connecting types, or what we call EIP, actually contributed to both in healthy and unhealthy ways. Well, today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about self-sabotage, but we're going to look at it uh, from two different places. Number one, what does it look like when each of these parts, what negative message do they carry, uh, do they hold, that actually gets in the way? Uh, that we actually look at these parts of our hearts and we don't necessarily appreciate them because they get in the way. But on the other side of that is virtue. Each of these parts have a uh, role to play. As a matter of fact, even as I say that, I mm-hmm. think of Lord of the Rings and Gollum and how they were always worried, is Gollum going to sabotage all of this? And I, I can't remember, maybe it was Gandalf who said, like, no, he will have a role to play in this story. Mm-hmm. And so these parts, even those parts may get in the way and hinder us and contribute to self-sabotage, actually play a noble role in our life. And they shouldn't be ignored, but rather welcome and led by the truth of the gospel and the Holy Spirit. So first of all, hey, Adam, welcome. Glad to be with you again. Oh, man. Thanks so much for having me. This is the highlight of my my day. I love hanging out with you guys and spending time on the podcast with our listeners. Yeah. That's awesome. And Bethy, glad you're here. Yeah. I was going to say, hey, what about me? (laughs) (laughs) You always make it about me. I know. (laughs) Hey, everyone. It's so good to be here. In an attempt not to be left out, Beth (laughs) inserts her presence. (laughs) Oh, the ambivalence of the nine. The ambivalence of the nine. Hey, so today we're going to be talking about calling. And uh, just based on our last few conversations about calling and EIP. Have you had any other aha moments come Mm. to mind? 
Well, that's great for our listeners. Um, <laughs> it's meant absolutely nothing to both of you. <laughs> Ask the question again, Jeff. Yeah. Oh, it was the bad question. So we've talked about no, the no, gospel. You see what I did there? You see what I did? I put it back on you. Yeah, yeah we talked about re- calling uh, in the gospel. We've talked about um, just your own personal stories. Uh, Adam talking about moving from pastoral ministry in the local church uh, and becoming the director of coaching and all of the imposter syndrome, the self doubt, yeah. all the various parts and the and excitement that is both good and bad that you experienced during that time. Bethy, you talked a little bit about AACC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the first thought that comes to mind is this is not a one-and-done lesson. Like, we yes. don't just learn about our struggles and the things that trip us up, and then once we've learned it, we just correct it, and then we're off on our way for the rest of our life. It's a daily work of renewing our mind and reminding ourselves of the calling that God has put on us. And then also, and we'll talk about it today, you know, getting rid of what whether you want to call it head trash, false beliefs, uh, lies, you know, any number of things, yeah. removing that stuff, but also inserting what's true. And I just know for myself, you know, I'll have seasons of feeling like, hey, things are going pretty good. <laughs> And then, but I would say majority of the time, I keep uh, experiencing like, you know, the Achilles heel or tripping up on the same dynamics. But I think what the Enneagram does for us, why it's been so powerful in my own life, is that when I look at the type nine and I recognize, oh, okay, I'm going to constantly for the rest of my life on this side of heaven, feel that it's true that my presence doesn't matter or think that people don't want to hear from me. Like it will feel so absolutely true and real that I'll feel the inclination to believe it and actually to move in life as if it's true and real. And so I think for me, what I just recognize is how the Enneagram itself just brings this clarity. But what I feel like the Holy Spirit does is he helps me to see, you know, Beth, this is, you know, what you're struggling with. This is what you will struggle with. But what I have called you to is something completely different and something new. And I want you to surrender and depend and trust in me with your calling. And I would say my whole internal world is like, that's awesome. And then the other half is like, I'm super scared. Like, I don't know if I can do that because this thought feels so accurate and real. Can I trust the Holy Spirit? Now, of course, we can trust Holy Spirit, but you know that dynamic inside. Like this is a whole, this is a growth path, you know, and growth is hard and and it feels different and stretching. And can I actually do that? And we can, we can do hard mm-hmm. things. And the Holy Spirit enables us and he meets us where we're at and he gives us the courage and the strength to to glorify him by doing the very things that he's called us to do. But right at that threshold, it feels almost impossible. And that's where it's really great to have, you know, like in Pilgrim's Progress, you know, when you read the book, like faithful, you know, by your side. So having one another, you know, brothers and sisters in Christ that help us to renew our mind with the, with the truth of the gospel. And I think that's why I love working with our team so much is, you know, you all know exactly my head trash and my limiting beliefs. And when it pops up, a lot of times you guys are like, you scratch your head kind of like, how is this even true for you, Beth? Like your voice 
really matters. And I'm thinking, what are you talking about? No, it doesn't, you know. It, but what I love is that you guys can kind of catch me in these false beliefs and bring truth and encouragement, not from a walking on eggshells, but as, as a brother or sister in Christ, you know, on our team, like, no, Beth, I know that's what you think, but this is actually what's true. And then you also are there to walk with me instead of shaming me or condemning me. And that's what I think we really hope for our listeners, whether it's with your spouse, coworkers, um, extended family, church, that you would come alongside one another and understand these false messages and bring the truth of the gospel back to them gently, but also firmly and encourage them to move in the right path. And I think that's really what we're going to um, be speaking about today. Adam, do you have any thoughts? Yes. Uh, so good, Beth. And along those same lines of you talking about how it's not just a one and done thing, like I've, I've continued to realize since our last conversation about, you know, my imposter syndrome and the self-doubt and, and, and that whole story of what I went through. Uh, in journeying from from pastoral ministry to director of coaching, I have continued to realize and acknowledge and notice that that is not just a problem in my life that I need to fix. It is a part of me. And I continue to see this part of me show up. Uh, I mean, I, I'm looking on my desk at a note to myself that says, you belong here. <laughs> and I wrote that this morning. So, you know, and I, I wrote that this morning to, to, to speak the truth to this part of myself that in so many different places where this part wants to show up and say, you don't really belong here. You're an imposter. You're, you're, it's only a matter of time before you're exposed. Um, so my, my point is, here's what I'm continuing to notice. This is not just a problem for me to fix. This is a problem that needs my gracious spirit-led leadership. And it's a part of me that needs, longs for relationship with God, with others, with me. Like I have to build a relationship with this part of myself and continue to get to know it, continue to be gentle with it, compassionate, lead it, help it grow, help it heal. Um, but it is a journey. It's not a quick trip and it's not a quick fix kind of thing. You know, it's not just a problem that I can apply some some principles to and voila. And I, and I think that's what EIP, EIP has given me a whole additional language and insight into how to do what I'm talking about, how to, how to connect with this part of myself, how to lead this part of myself. So that's what I'm continuing to, to notice mm-hmm. and, and wrestle with. Yeah. And I think, you know, we talk a lot about what the, you know, the, an acronym aware that we have, um, the W welcome, yes. you yes. know, we really need to learn how to welcome these conflicting parts within us instead of shaming them, condemning with EIP, them. EIP, that, likely is one of the biggest challenges people yeah. face. They don't want to give attention to right. a part of them that they find uncomfortable or disruptive. Yeah. And here's what's, here's what's crazy about that. But it's, it is so <laughs> yeah. hard. It's vulnerable. It's scary. It mm-hmm. takes it takes work. And I think everything is, is organized to keep us living out of our heads and our hands, you know, like out of our mm-hmm. competency and our giftedness or our, our, our defensive strategies. And it is difficult to to connect with these parts of ourselves and give them the attention they need. But here's what I've noticed to your point, Jeff, is if I don't, if I don't give this part the attention it needs, it will continue to act out and react in order to get the attention that it needs. And, and so all of that reacting, and we talk about this in parenting, when children are, are, are acting out, there's some part of them that something I mean, maybe needs discipline, of course, loving discipline, but some part of them is needing something, need, needing attention in some way, shape or form. 
So here's the here's the my point in that is your this party is going to get find a way to get attention. So we, I might as well learn to do the daily hard work of checking in and connecting and welcoming this part of myself because it's 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 going to get attention one way or the other. Well, the, we have a story on that. Um, I was our daughter Libby, who's our social media manager, was over yesterday. We were doing some uh, social media reels videos, um, having a good time. And somehow this came up, but we were talking about when she was uh, two, I think it was two years old. She, Both our kids started talking like words very late compared to some kids. So even at two, they had like maybe 10 or 20 words that we had have to somehow interpret. Like they weren't even clear. They were very physical, but not very verbal. And so you were putting her in the van in her seat. Um, this is when we were um, down in Tantara, and she and she was a quiet little girl up until about two or three, and she was not having it for for whatever reason. She was kind of throwing a little tem- temper tantrum, and it was kind of threw us back a little bit because she was so quiet and kind of kind of just do go along with the flow. Um, but until that point, and it was so neat how you attuned to her. Because part of me just wanted to go, you know, just discipline, like sit in the chair, we got to go, you know, just kind of control the situation. But what you did is you, you were the one putting her in and she was crying and fussing and kind of throwing a little temper tantrum. And you said, are you wanting, and I don't remember what it was, but you verbalized back to her what she was actually wanting. Maybe she didn't want to get in the seat. Maybe she didn't want the car seat straps on. You verbalized it back to her. And she looked at you and you said, is that it? And you, and she was like, yes. And you're like, okay. And then you were very gentle and patient. And you, you said, I understand that you don't want that, but this is what we need to do right now. And the fact that you attuned to her and you verbalized it back so that because her, she knew she couldn't say it clearly, but that you said it clearly for her, she was able to follow your lead. Her heart was able to soften and to listen. And that's what we need to do with ourselves, like the parts within us, is what is it that you're asking or needing? Like, what? where's the pain coming from? And we may not be able to actually go in the direction that part wants us to go in, but can we bring truth from self-leadership? I'm just grateful that this is now going to be a podcast that is recorded and put on multiple (laughs) social platforms, recalling uh, one amazing moment as a parent. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have many of them, and it's good to remember them and celebrate them. (laughs) No, but I think that's just such a great It it is actually, whenever I was first introduced to the idea of part language, um, that was one of the ways that I resonated with it because I remember talking with Livy, like there is a way that you can communicate a need the way that you're doing. So right now we don't understand, Yeah, you know, compose yourself and let's talk. Yeah. And uh, what I was able to identify, like just to move past the excitement, uh, the demand, the tantrum to see that there was a real desire underneath it. Yeah. And she needed help on learning how to communicate it. Mm-hmm. Our hearts uh, and all of its various parts have a need and a desire behind them that they are trying to fulfill. 
And if we just focus on the symptoms and on the unhealthy ways of trying to meet that need, mm-hmm. we miss the opportunity to actually shepherd and care for uh, for these parts of our hearts. Yeah. So, well, what we're going to do today is for the next 30 minutes, we're actually going to walk the wheel, which is the terms, <laughs> the idiom that Beth and I use as we go through nine types. And so what Beth's going to do is we're going to ask her to introduce for each type um, the wounding childhood message and how that message may actually sabotage that particular type's efforts to live out their calling. And then we're also going to talk about the virtue. And the reason why we're talking about the virtue for each type is that these parts, no matter how much of a story you have about how they've contributed to your life, maybe in an unhealthy or negative way, actually have a gift to bring to you. And the Enneagram speaks to this because it does so with the idea of the virtue. And so, Beth, why don't you start off now? I don't know where you want to start this time because everybody wants to be first. Right. We typically start with ones, but nines feel left out. Yeah, they do. So where do you we'll want to start? We'll start with nines. We'll go backwards. Start with nine. Start we'll with nine. shake it up a little bit. Just a little. Just a little. That's bit. awesome. Just, just the way a nine would shake up things. Great. So tell us about the wounding message of a nine. Yeah, so for the type nines, and we actually call it the interpreted childhood message. And the reason why we put the word interpreted is because um, sometimes this wasn't directly said to us. Like we may have grown up in a family that was not trying to communicate this to us, but our, through, the, through the lens of our type, what we saw or interpreted and heard, thought we heard were these messages. And mm-hmm. so it could have been directly said to us or uh, just us interpreting yep. situations. So the type nine, um, the interpreted, uh, interpreted childhood message is it's not okay to assert yourself. We'll be back after a quick break. Moms, it's here. Registration is open for Enneagram for Moms cohort. Yes, from May 6th to May 13th, you can grab your spot to be in one of the cohorts with moms of the same Enneagram type, plus with a certified Enneagram coach leading the way. Wouldn't that be the most amazing thing to be with like-minded moms who really understand what it's like to be on your journey as a mom from your type? Yes, it will feel so validating, reassuring, affirming, encouraging. You don't have to mom alone anymore. Go to yourenneagramcoach.com forward slash cohorts to grab your spot today because there's only 25 spots available for each cohort. Now, we have a cohort for all nine types in the daytime and one in the evening. But when the spots are filled up, they're gone. So grab your spot today at yourenneagramcoach.com forward slash cohorts. The groups start the week of June 10th and go until the week of July 29th. There are 90-minute sessions, and there's eight of them. Plus, you'll get a free Facebook group community where you can continue the conversation with one another. Join today. Now, as it would relate to someone wanting to take the step into their, their sense of passion or calling or desire for their life, right? That is huge. Yeah, because it's, it's like not okay to assert yourself. That is the and what we have to realize is this is a soundtrack. You know, this is on a loop. You know, this is going on and on in the background of and, your life. And the, and nines have stories. Yeah. Of the t- all the times that they tried to assert themselves. And it was And they got pushback or feedback or correction, you know, yes. whatever whatever word you want to put under that umbrella, 
says to the nine, communicates to the nine through their lens, stop asserting yourself. Now, you've used a, even a statement uh, like a metaphor or analogy of what it feels like to assert your present, that you are feel like you're walking in wet semen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's so hard. And there are seasons in my life where I know I have to assert myself for my own growth and joy of life, but also for others. And yet everything in my being, physical, spiritual, emotional, um, is like saying, stop, stop. Mm -hmm. Like this is too hard. This is too much. Or, or the fear and the trepidation of what, what if someone doesn't like what I'm doing? What if someone disagrees? What if someone pushes back on me? Those messages, like any inclination that 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 could happen shuts me down. And that's where it feels like wet semen. So I I know this is an uncomfortable message for nines, but that's the, this is the gift of the podcast. Like it, you know, in in the recovery world, we say if it if it's not messy, you're not doing it right. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're not feeling the pushback, well, you're probably not engaged in life. Yeah, and, and we're all like, all of us nines are like, Ugh, don't say that out loud. <laughs> like that that means you're actually doing the work. Like literally, like I I feel it when you say that. Um, but here's the good news. So the virtue mm-hmm. of the type nine is called right action, and this is where the type nines learn and understand what their callings and passions, desires, and wants. And this can take a long time because we have this internal thick fog that it it takes time. But as we gain clarity and understanding of God's calling and purpose on our life and passions, then we move into it and we um, engage with it. Uh, We develop ourselves and we bless the world with what we have to offer. And again, that can look like a wide range of things uh, through actual vocations to just your passion as a parent or community uh, member of the church. There's lots of ways that we do this, but in our head, we're constantly fixating more so on what do people think and people pleasing to not disrupt the system and therefore which don't will lead assert to self-sabotage. which leads to self-sabotage. Well, here's here's, how, here's, how, here's how self-sabotage is, if I may jump in, is yeah, what, yeah. Nines, yeah. what nines long for is peace. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. merging with others and falling asleep to your own passions actually robs you of, of that deeper yeah. peace. You actually yeah. live a life in conflict with yourself and what you want. Yeah. So yeah. the irony is, the beautiful irony is the way to true peace is stepping into your desires, stepping into your passions and dreams, even if it rocks the boat. And it will, as Jeff talked about, you're gonna, it's always going to, anytime nines differentiate, it's going to shake things up. Um, but you'll, you'll be able to use your gifts to actually bless others now, for, you know, and, and use your presence yeah. and voice to bless others. And that's how you get to the, to the true peace. Well, I'm when in else, this... Yeah, go ahead. Oh. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I'm in this conundrum even right now, trying to figure out how do I voice my desires and wants in a particular area. And man, I mean, I'm telling you, it is so hard. It is so hard. Like, so all the nines out there, they're like, I understand, Beth, (laughs) keep going. But what it feels like, so, you know, uh, Sleeping at Last that we had on the podcast, he's a type nine. And in the artwork that he had for each of the nine types was a particular animal to kind of represent um, each of the nine types. And the type nine, which I totally 100% agree, because this is how I feel about myself, is an elephant. And what I was thinking about this morning, as I'm thinking through how I'm needing to navigate addressing the things that I need and want moving forward in certain areas of my life, 
it's so scary and I'm terrified that I'm going to upset or hurt anyone what it feels like. Because people will say, oh, an eight is like a bull in a china shop. And okay, I get that. But what people don't realize is nines are terrified of being an elephant who has to now walk into a china shop. And I am so terrified I'm going to disrupt things. I'm going to knock things over. I feel like there was a Disney cartoon of some situation like this of an elephant Probably. trying to recognize its size and yeah. uh, significance. Yeah. And so it's like, I recognize it. And so I, I just, I want to try to shrink down or like suck in really hard and like, maybe, maybe I won't disrupt anyone, you know? Um, and yet, like you said, Adam, I'm at this point where I'm recognizing I can't not say what I need and what I want. I can't in this area, in this arena, this area that I'm talking about, I can't ignore myself because it's hurting myself too much. I can't go along to get along anymore and I want a happy medium, but what's so hard is that by trying to voice what I want, and this is good for others that aren't nines to hear, it's kind of awkward. We have almost, it's like atrophy, you know, like if you haven't used a muscle for a long time, like we, we don't even know how to use these like giftings and muscles and trying to say what we need and want. And it comes out sideways and it comes out weird. And then we feel not heard. And then we just want to shut down and therefore I don't want to assert myself once again. And this pattern happens over and over again. And so it's really good to recognize for the nines, this is hard and it does feel like walking in wet semen or it does feel like you're a, a elephant walking in a china shop and everyone's like, whoa, whoa, stop. You know, what are you doing? And then you just want to shut down. But right action is the virtue. And we have to learn how to strengthen that muscle and to move in that area. Uh, so Adam and Beth, when you think about the type eight and their desire to live out their calling, um, it, whenever I hear about the message that they believe that they can't trust, um, one, that means there's the potential that there's the lack of trust in God, that God may not come through and they're going to need to do this themselves, but they may need to do something in spite of others. So uh, it sounds like they're, they're, they're alone. Mm, yeah. But that's just my impression. How, uh, when you work with AIDS and talk with AIDS, how do you feel that that message translates into self-sabotage as it relates to their calling? I think the first thing that comes to mind is they – have either themselves, like I said, been wounded themselves or betrayed or blindsided, or they've seen someone else. And so what they've done is they put a really strong exterior um, on the outside to protect themselves. And a lot of times they don't even realize how strong this exterior is and how people can kind of bump into it and like, whoa, what's going on? Like, why are you, you know, so intense or whatever the uh, verbiage that someone will say to them. And they're kind of taken aback by the people's response um, because to them, they think they're just protecting themselves or they think they're just making things happen. But this um, this armor, this strong exterior really does have an effect on others. And people can't see what's actually happening inside, which is that eights have this incredibly tender heart that is so admirable and the passion they have for people and the love and the tenderness but others can't see it. And so here they might want to be um, seeing something happen, but because they have this strong external armor where they don't trust others, it actually creates the very problem that they're hoping for. Well, it isn't yeah. even hearing you talk, Beth. I, one new thing to hear is that they may actually be seeking to protect 
mm-hmm. others that don't need their protection. That's true. true. Yeah. So that's they're true. actually moving in a direction that's actually not their best direction. Or maybe they do need the protection, but it's not their role. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Adam, your thoughts? Yeah. yeah. For my type eight friends, their passion, their vocational calling is always going to require the activation of their soft, tender interior, as Beth was talking about. So the way sabotage happens is, you know, when an eight is operating out of this core fear and this this interpreted childhood message that it's not okay to trust or this core fear that I'm going to be betrayed, my weakness is going to be used against me and I'm going to be, you know, hurt. Uh, when they're operating out of that, they can become increasingly intense suppress vulnerable emotions and like beth said thicken that hard exterior even sometimes becoming more controlling and aggressive what what happens is they lose touch with their their inner gentleness and this compassion this bleeding heart that god's gifted them with and not only did they lose touch with it but but we lose it we don't get we don't get that gift that that god has given them so this this sabotages them from actually living into their calling. I mean, when they use their power to fight for the underdog and serve the weak and fight for justice, and this will always require this two sides of the same coin, that passion for justice and that fierce protection will always require the, their, them to be in touch with their vulnerability, will always expose something about their weakness and their, their soft heart. But when they bury that and they protect that, we all lose that and, and their their gift gets left on the shelf. Mm-hmm. Well, Bethy, let's talk about their virtue for a moment. Yeah, so it's called innocence and it's really just what Adam was talking about. Right. It's um, first them recognizing that they are ultimately protected and loved and cared for by yeah. Christ himself. And in that, they're able to allow their heart to open up and this strong exterior to, to <clears> be, <throat> I wouldn't say like, completely gone because it's understandable why here on earth we protect ourselves, but that they are open and vulnerable with their tender heart, that others can experience what's going on in that space. And they can see the tenderness of Christ overflow into the lives of others. And this still can be from a place of passion and even intensity. It's not that we want them to not be, you know, their full selves, their authentic selves. What did what we're asking is for us to be able to see the fullness of who you are. You know, it, it is interesting. It almost feels contrary, like it, for the nine to to move into difficulty, strain, effort. Which that, is called, that may be we didn't, I don't know if we said it, right, but it's called right action. Right action. Mm-hmm. Um, it actually goes against the message. Absolutely. And, and here, you know, it, it sounds like for the eight, whenever they're moving towards a healthier path, it's going to mean that they should be feeling more vulnerable, mm-hmm. not necessarily more confident. Exactly. and Because the- eights will, I mean, <laughs> they'll tell us like, ah, oh, I, I, like they're so confident oh, yeah. in everything. Yeah. And, and they, they want you to believe that they're confident in everything. Instinct and belief. But that isn't always a place of authenticity. Mm-hmm. Um, that That's actually part of the mechanism itself. And we're not saying, I think what I want to say first and foremost, we're not saying be innocent and vulnerable to humans first that that's not the message i'm trying to get across it's we have i i want them to see that they can surrender and depend and be vulnerable with christ himself 
who is their rock, their cleft, uh, the strong one, the protector. You know, he is the one that they can ultimately open up to. And as they feel his protection and strength, the overflow of their heart will be that they're vulnerable at the right measure with other human beings. I mean, the image that comes to mind is the Last Supper. Jesus sat with the men that were going to betray yeah, him, right. and he moved towards them with love. Right. Uh, it, it, he did not do so with a callous heart, mm-hmm. um, but with full recognition of the cost and what this was going yeah, to mean to that's him. that's great. Uh, well, let's go on to type sevens. Yeah, okay, so type sevens, the interpreted childhood message for them is that it's not okay to depend on anyone for anything. Um, and, you know, for them, they are constantly having these plans in their mind of what's the next best thing? What's the next stimulation? What is going to be, what's going to bring me satisfaction and content heart? Um, I don't want to feel deprived or limited or missing out on something. And so for them, that what it's kind of like if you think about a little kid who, you know, wants to go to Chuck E. Cheese and then a movie and then let's get ice cream and then and then and then and then. Well, the parents at some point, even if they do all that stuff, have to say, uh, we got to go home and take a shower or a bath and then do your homework and your chores. I mean, all of us as kids are like, no, not that, you know. Um, so for the seven, it's really hard to trust that people can come through for them. They're at, at a heart level because they have this insatiable desire that never feels like it's being fulfilled. And so they keep trying to have other people help them, but everyone fails. And so it's like, well, I guess I got to do it myself. You know, I'm the only one that can fulfill this, you know, longing inside that I have. And that's simply not true. Well, I would imagine as I've experienced some sevens, as they've considered becoming an Enneagram coach, a lot of times they're they're like all in immediately. Like mm-hmm. they're super excited about it. This is what they want. <clears throat> this is the next step. They're going to – and it sometimes does not come in context of, okay, is this coming at the expense of other things? Are there other people in your life? Mm-hmm. Like, hey, you did the same thing three months ago. You mm-hmm. did the same thing last year. And you keep doing things, and maybe you don't actually follow through on some of them. Um, going with the next positive idea mm-hmm. sometimes isn't the healthiest. So, Bethy, um, now that we know what the the message is, how, how does that translate into self-sabotage for the seven? Hmm, that's really good. So for the sevens, you know, they, you know, they have this positive outlook and for them, they think that it's everyone else's fault for not coming through for them. And they believe they know what they want and they know what they need and they're going to go get it. And they're just not going to, they just can't trust anyone, but that's okay because they're independent and they can, they can make it happen. The problem is, is that they're, it's this insatiable desire that never is fully met and so when they go from thing to thing to thing it's like eating cotton candy like it's sweet to the to the mouth you know sweet to the taste but it it dissolves in an instant and then they're kind of like wait what and then they go to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing um and all of those sweet tastes are just enough to keep them going in a self-sabotaging way they don't ever sit with something long enough until they're healthy and we'll talk about that here in a second they they won't sit with it long enough because it doesn't last. It's kind of like, you know, when you eat, um, what's that, uh, like juicy fruit gum or what's that gum that had like the rainbow colors with a oh, giraffe yeah. on it? It lasts like five seconds. Five seconds. And you're yeah. like, man, that was so awesome. I love that taste. And I then it's gone. I hated that gum. <laughs> I hated that gum. The taste of it? The taste of it. Well, it you're It was weird. the worst. Funny story. I, I was a hubba bubba. Oh, oh yeah. Bubble, yeah. Bubble, yeah. Bubble, yeah. Bubble, yubba, bubba. 
Big league chew. <laughs> big league chew. Oh, oh, big. Oh, gosh. Absolutely. A whole bag. Funny, funny yeah. side story for our audience. When I was three, I wanted that rainbow gum. I can't even remember what the name is. All I remember is rainbow with the uh, zebra on it, right? And I wanted it. And I asked my mom at the grocery store and she said no. So I stole it. <laughs> and then, so this is when I'm three years old. Then we go to my dad's office, okay? And we're, you know, they're doing their, like, mom's, like, helping or gathering information. So I'm just this three-year-old walking around, you know. Just chewing your gum. And then I'm just chewing my gum. And mom's like, where did you get that? I, like, I, I was so young. I didn't have the wherewithal to hide it. <laughs> so then she took me back to the grocery store to have me you know, apologize for stealing it and to pay. And the lady was so mean to me. Yeah. Shaming I mean, you me. You were arrested, put in handcuffs. <laughs> it felt like it. <laughs> it really did. It felt and my mom felt terrible because of how she just wanted, you know, me to apologize and pay for it and all that kind of stuff. But the lady really shamed me. I think she was trying to scare me from being a juvenile delinquent later on in life or something. <laughs> My anyway, is a back to the to the gum. Seven. So let's talk about the virtue for the seven. Yeah. Though. So the reality is, is that the the desire has an insatiable quality to yeah. it, but there's an invitation in it. It can lead to sabotage. Yeah. Because you're you're not sitting with the beauty and the blessings of things that aren't always fun. You know, there there's some things in life that <clears throat> you know we have to sit in that produce wonderful, glorious things that are hard. And that's where for the seven, it's called sobriety. And we're not talking about not being drunk. We're talking about emotional sobriety or sobriety of the mind where they learn to internally sit where they're at and see the blessings that are before them, um, whether they enjoy them or not. Because sometimes blessings aren't always you know, joyful or stimulating or exciting, but to see what they are and to actually relish in them and to savor them. That's a big word I always use with sevens is to savor. Um, I, it, it's funny. We've, there, I remember that one time that a seven responded through direct message thinking they were messaging someone else your use of the word savor. Mm-hmm. And it was something like, if she uses the word savor one, one more, more time. time. <laughs> and I'm like, sorry, it is the oh, word. The feel, sevens. Yeah, Actually, though, I think Annie F. Downs, uh, she... Uh, put a a light colored uh, tattoo on her on with the word savor to remind her to savor to be in the moment to not be off to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing that the blessings are here right now even if it doesn't seem like it uh, for the seven how can they reinterpret or renew their mind to what is here and I think that's uh, that's really what you know. The sevens are are needing to move into, and they're probably sitting there listening to this, going, "No," just like I, you know, feel like the same way with right action and all the other types. Our virtues are so hard and yet so beautiful oh, all at the same time. I do have a quick example. My seven part yeah. has come, come alive listening to you talk. Okay, and and I, I do have a quick example thanks to Inside Out, uh, the movie Inside mm. Out, where you see how sevens can sabotage their their giftedness. Is you know. And I, I almost feel like I need to speak as a seven because my, my seven part is so strong. But we we have we can have such a an insatiable thirst and hunger to numb the, the pain of life and to avoid yeah. to avoid sadness. But what you learn in that film, and you know what what we all know is true, is that you actually cannot have joy without sadness. Yeah, they they cannot exist without one another. 
So if I'm going to offer my, as a seven, if a seven is going to offer their gift of joy to the world. And, and by the way, a seven's passion and vocational calling will always require their joy mm-hmm. um, and, and maximize their joy and spread their joy. And that's the gift sevens bring to the world. Praise God. Yeah. Um, but they cannot get there without walking through the door of their sadness and welcoming their sadness mm-hmm. and the pains of, and losses of this life. And, and so all that effort at, uh, that results in discontentment, because it's never enough. Nothing can ever fully suppress or, or, or quiet that, that, that stuff that we want to avoid actually robs them of the joy that they, they offer. And, and in that sense, there can be a, a, a self-sabotage. Yeah. Well, why don't we spend some time talking about type six? And there's two of us here. Yeah. Uh, so we'll, we'll try not to dominate uh, the remainder of the podcast. So we'll try <laughs> to get through it. But let's talk about, uh, let's just talk, you know, let's just spend time on the virtue of the six. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Let's, let's, yeah, just, yeah, we'll let's just go there. Yeah. <laughs> we, we all understand the problem. No, um, we, <laughs> we're very familiar with the problem. And I would say the most six is this. Uh, would you say this, Adam? No, I'm not going to ask it. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> the provocative side of the six no, is I wanting to peek at. No, really but yeah, I don't know. I yeah. Are you self doubting right now? Are you self-doubting? No, <laughs> no. That means you should go for it. That means you should go for it. It's like you can yeah. almost see all of these thoughts chiming in. Like, ah, okay, yeah. no. What about? Oh no. Uh, maybe I should say it. Yeah. Should we just move? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I really resonate. Just go move on so I, I don't have to think about it okay. anymore. So what the interpreted the, childhood it, message yes. for the type six is it's not okay to trust yourself. That's right. It's not okay to and trust And you myself. just That's pointed right. out the yeah. very reason. Like no, the good demonstration, no, Jeff. No, <laughs> no. That is not what's happening here. That so is here's, projection. here's uh, no. Because the reason why I don't want to ask the question is because one, it would be funny. And two, uh, I sometimes when I ask funny type questions, it gets bothersome to you. Like it's not appropriate. And then it would become its own other discussion. And so I. Right. That, so you have this inner committee that is battling within you right now. Yes. And you're thinking of all the ways that that could be awesome and go wrong and which one should you choose. So therefore, you don't trust yourself, <laughs> which is this very message you're you're demonstrating perfectly. I, it's not that I don't <laughs> trust myself. I said, I'm not sure I want to deal with the consequences. That's what I'm thinking. Okay. So whether or not we are editor edits it, that question out or yeah, it's a little bit different, but I do. But back to the idea, it's not okay to trust self. That, mm-hmm. that is true as it relates okay, to whether that was a perfect example or not, what you just did does represent what is going on internally for a six. Sure. This wrestling between a hundred thousand different messages at yeah. once coming from different angles, different, yeah. uh, uh, perspectives. Yeah. And so the six is like, well, which one do I choose? This one seems reasonable, but that one does too. But I, you know, should listen to so-and-so. And But then my school said this, or my church says that. And they're thinking of all these things, which literally ends up causing them to not trust themselves. So they look outside themselves for guidance and support. I, I have found, I don't know if you find this to be true, Adam, that the more that I read and the more that I reach out to people, um, I inevitably gain confidence and clarity and know exactly what to do. 
it, really? It, it, ends, it, it always is. It, like, there's no way that, that it there's ever no self-sabotage. No. Yeah. Oh, no. I mean, what's bad about buying hundreds of Amazon? Oh, I've heard that for how many decades now? (laughs) I mean, how can (laughs) pursuing wisdom, Beth? You're saying that's (laughs) self-sabotage? Here we go. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And that's tricky, especially, I would say, um, you know, in our culture, it there's wisdom and gaining wisdom, right? You know, like in counsel and especially in the church, seek good counsel. And so... The six has uh, some footing to stand on in that regard. Like, oh, I'm just getting wisdom. I'm just getting knowledge, or I'm, I, I want good guidance, and that in and of itself is good. But it can actually entangle the six more. Yeah. Because when you ask uh, Sue and Jack and Damon and all these different people, what their thoughts are. Now you've got not only your own inner committee going, but you've got this outer committee with all its thoughts or the books you're reading and they're chiming in too. And so then it creates even a a bigger vortex that you're being sucked into. And what do you do? And Hmm. there's, this is kind of funny, but there's a a great uh, principle that has stayed with me. I mean, I wouldn't say it's at the forefront of my mind, but it's definitely around. Uh, it's hanging out at the bar of Jeff's head. Um, but uh, it comes from the movie We Bought a Zoo. I love that movie. And Matt Damon um, tells his son, you need 20 seconds of courage. I think it's five. Is it five? Does yeah. anybody know? Is that know? all we need, Jeff? All we need is five seconds? Well, and, and here's the here's the principle behind it. Make a decision mm-hmm. and take a step. So, yeah, let's move into the virtue, and then you add Great. add to the virtue because yep. that's exactly where you're going. So, the virtue of the six is courage, and so for the six, what they need to realize is they have such great discernment. They have really thought things through from multiple angles, and man, every six that I know has really good discernment, but they don't trust it because of this ongoing record player message, this false message, don't trust yourself. And so then they keep seeking um, external advice, but they have this great discernment. And we're not saying trust yourself like, oh, you as a human being have all the wisdom you need, just do whatever you think. That's not what we're saying. We're saying the Holy Spirit will work in and through you to give you good discernment and it's there that you want to move with courage, that you you settle on a perspective or a thought or a view, and you actually move into it. And how does that even land on you guys? Like just hearing that, um, like just just do, just trust yourself, just move into it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I I can show up to that with like an angry, dismissive, or even skepticism. Like you know. Mm. Um, you know, yeah, if only it was that easy, if only I were you and I could just do that, you know, assuming that everybody else does that with ease. Um, Mm -hmm. but, but I can, but there's a part of me that accepts it as, as an invitation and a path to life. And I know that this is the way forward. Like courage is the stuff that moves us through our fear. So if Mm -hmm. I don't, if I don't tap into my gift of courage, I can't be myself. I can't be Adam and I can't, I can't live into, the unique expression of God's image that he's given me. And I can't live into the gifts that I have. I'll never forget a moment years ago. And you guys have, you know, I've brought up different mentors in my life and it seems like I've brought up rich a few times, but rich Plass put his hand on my chest at one point 
and cause I was, I was deep into the weeds of self doubt and I was giving a million reasons why I cannot do anything in life. I cannot be who I want to be. I cannot live into these gifts. I cannot take these risks. And he had this moment where he just like put his hand out and he said, you have to trust who you are. And it's like, I'd heard that a million times, but something about it, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Like if I don't, if I don't start practice, trusting myself, practicing, trust myself, I, I, I will sabotage myself per I'll be a paralysis with due to over analysis. I'll stay stuck. I'll live, I will live codependent and live somebody else's dream. I'll, you know, but I, I won't be able to be who I am if I don't start practice, practicing this, this idea of trusting myself. That is the way forward for a six. And, you know, just to let those sixes out there know, and actually people that aren't sixes, because they might think, oh, well, they, they need to have courage. Well, sixes are the most courageous on the Enneagram. And some people are like, really? Well, yeah, because you guys are constantly facing this inner committee all day, every day, and you're, you're overcoming this constant self-doubt and moving forward. Now, people don't always see it from an outside perspective, but just to give the affirmation to the sixes that are listening, you are very courageous. Mm. At the same time, you need to step into this place of courage that God has given you wisdom and discernment to to actually go forward. Well, this has been this has been awesome, uh, and even now ending in with the heavy message of how I personally self sabotage <laughs> and the invitation that Jesus gives me by His Spirit in living out my calling, even as the CEO of your Enneagram Coach, because uh, this is very real terrain yeah. uh, that I know that I walk and that Beth walks each and every day as we uh, steward this particular. Uh, season. That yeah, the I think I think one thing, and that's what you're saying, we don't want you all to be listening going, oh, Beth and Jeff have been studying the Enneagram for, you know, 20 years. So they've got this, you know, down pack. Like, guys, this is a daily work that yeah. we do. You know, so if you're out there feeling like, oh, I'm not arriving, that's just life. And we're constantly having to do this hard work and that's okay. And so what we're going to do is um, uh, just because we're talking through each of these types, we're actually going to spend uh, the next episode talking about type fives through type one, Uh, their interpreted childhood message and their virtue. Now, one thing to remember in all of this is that we're, all of these types are connected with one another. And so when we think about these parts showing up, when we just heard about a six, for those of you, the threes and the nines and the sevens and the fives, you have a six part of your heart that adopts some of these strategies and also has these virtues to offer you as you live out your calling. So there's a part of you that overthinks things mm. and isn't confident and doesn't feel secure. And yet it also has this virtue of courage, that that is a resource for you, that when under the um, when it's yielded to the Holy Spirit's work in your life and there's assurance from Jesus, we can actually move forward in courage. That's a part of you nines and sixes and sevens and fives. Well, we're so grateful that you spent some time with us today to hear us talk about these ideas of self-sabotage and the virtues that each of these Enneagram types that we're connected to play into our sense of calling. If you are interested in becoming an Enneagram coach, be sure to go and visit uh, www.yourenneagramcoach.com slash BEC. 
BEC slash BEC. I forgot that for a moment there. And if you're interested in hearing more about your own internal, our Enneagram internal profile, you can go buy our book. It's wherever books are sold right now, More Than Your Number. Uh, it's about becoming aware of your interior world by using uh, these tools of EIP as well as the daily resource of Aware. Uh, Adam, we're so grateful that you joined us today. Mm-hmm. And as we always say, the Enneagram reveals your need for Jesus, not your need to work harder because it's the gospel that transforms us.